Hi, this is Delcina with Keeping It Fit for Life. Thank you so much for tuning in today. I look forward to us both growing together as we go through this journey of learning new habits and skills that will help improve both our fitness and our health for life. Hi, this is Delcina with Keeping It Fit for Life, your online nutrition and fitness coach. I am a certified personal trainer and a precision nutrition coach. I'm looking forward to talking with you today. Today we're going to be talking about various popular diets that are out there in the new world. They're not new, most of them. They're very, very old, such as last week we talked a little bit about the ketogenic diet, the keto diet and all the misinformation that's out there about them. Well, today we're going to talk about the paleo problem. The paleo diet is loosely based on our ancestral diet, hunter-gatherers, making the assumption or the theory that if our ancestors survived for a long time on hunting and gathering and eating meats and the fresh things available to them, that is exactly what we should go back to today. Now, there are some good and some not so good about this theory, and I'm going to talk to you a little bit about just that. So first of all, let's talk about exactly what the paleo diet includes. So the paleo diet includes animals, anything that had a face on it, right? So meat, fish, reptiles, insects, and usually almost all parts of the animals. So they ate the organs, the bone marrow, the cartilage, intestines, everything. And then some animal byproducts such as eggs or honey. Then they also had roots and tubers, you know, like potatoes and carrots, leaves, flowers, and stems, and then fruits, nuts, and seeds. And those should be eaten raw. Recently, many paleo proponents have suggested that eaters start with the above then slowly introduce grass-fed dairy, mostly things like yogurt or other cultured options, and a small amount of properly prepared legumes. So those would be prepared such that the way we used to do it in the old school days where you used to soak it overnight in order to use it. Okay, so then what's so special about the hunter-gatherers that this diet has been based on? Well, after Eden, most of the world figured out agriculture. You know, Adam had to get out and land and till the land and farm and learn how to grow crops. And so then we moved from the Paleolithic to the Neolithic period. We were planting and farming, and that provided us a wide consistency of relatively reliable food sources. So without that, of course, our civilization couldn't exist because if we still had to kind of guess where our next meal was coming from, well, a lot of us would be a lot skinnier and we would probably not survive. Many people believe that a change from a hunter-gatherer diet, which was rich in fruits and vegetables, to our now known agricultural diet, which is rich in cereals, grains, and gave rise to our modern chronic diseases that we are also familiar with, such as obesity, diabetes, and cardiovascular disease. And so that's the basic tenet, the basic principle in the paleo diet. And the reason why proponents say that we should return to meat and produce-based diet of our past. So, how did our ancestors fare? How did those 
Paleolithic hunter-gatherers actually really do? Well, it wasn't as simple as just hunting and gathering and everybody ate the same thing from all over the world because a lot of the diet depended on what part of the world they were in. So there were very few surviving hunter-gatherer populations, that sub but they subsisted on a wide variety of diets, from the nutty and seedy African kung to the root vegetable-eating Kitabans near Papua New Guinea, and then you had the meat and fat-loving Inuits of the Arctic. So as you can see, these foraging diets are diverse, and so they reflect, of course, the widely varying um, availability of where they were. So it depended on where they lived, mostly plant-based if you lived in the tropics, mostly animal-based if you lived in the Arctic, and then anything in between. Now, even though these diets were very varied across the globes, most Paleolithic humans likely consumed about three more produce, three more times more produce than Americans do today. And that in itself is a plus. But when you compare the American, average American diet to the Paleolithic human diet, they also ate more fiber, more protein, more omega fatty acids, more unsaturated fats, vitamins, minerals, and a lot less saturated fat and sodium. So you can see how that would be a very positive thing to adapt. Well, let's talk about the modern era and modern examples of this hunter-gatherer diet. Uh, there are some residents in the Kitawa Island of Papua New Guinea, and they're probably the most famously researched modern hunter-gatherer population, where we get a lot of data about these types of diets. So the, according to Dr. Stefan Lindeberg, he extensively studied their habits and identified some of the important aspects of it. The Kitavans mostly lived exclusively on starchy root vegetables like yams, sweet potatoes, taro, tapioca. Uh, they also may had fruit, banana, papaya, pineapple, mango, guava, watermelon, pumpkin. Sounds like all the good stuff I loved to eat when I was growing up in Panama. Uh, vegetables, lots of fish and seafood, and of course coconuts because they lived in tropical areas. They were very healthy and robust, and they were free of obesity, diabetes, heart attack, stroke, and acne, despite the fact that most of them also smoked. Interesting, huh? Okay, so what does the paleo diet promise? The main idea of a primal diet, as you've gathered, is that our ancient human genetic blueprint doesn't match our current 21st century diet and lifestyle. As a result, our health and our well-being suffers. The paleo diet also makes some very key evolutionary assumptions. And remember, these are assumptions. So these are some of the assumptions. Paleolithic hunter-gatherers were robust and healthy. If they didn't die young from accident or infectious diseases, they lived long, about as long as we do now. When the Paleolithic hunter-gatherers shifted to the Neolithic agricultural diet, you know, hunter-gatherers to farmers, they got relatively sicker, shorter, and spindlier. And the modern hunter-gatherers are healthy, and their health declines when they switch to a modern diet. I can tell you from my own experience that when I've seen people from other cultures and countries come to the United States and adapt the Western diet, 
their lifestyle changes in addition to their food intake and they become unhealthier. Okay, so let's talk about some of the evidence that is involved in using the Paleolithic diet. So the article goes on to say that while a case can be made for this evolutionary trend, hunter-gatherers were not the pristine models of health, actually. To begin with, they certainly harbored various parasites, and they were also subject to many infectious diseases. What's more, a recent study in The Lancet looked at 137 mummies from societies ranging from all over the world, Egypt, Peru, American Southwest, the Aleutian Islands, to search for signs of arthrosclerosis. They noted probably or definite arthrosclerosis in 47 of 137 mummies from all four geographical regions. Regardless of whether the people had been farmers or hunter-gatherers or peasants or social elite. So, basically, all of them got hardening of the arteries, no matter what their lifestyle. In fact, the hunter-gatherers of the Aleutian Islands had the highest prevalence, with 60% of their mummies having evidence of arthrosclerosis. Hmm, interesting, isn't it? Well, although arthrosclerosis may be a common human experience, no matter what disease of affluence dictates, which is obesity, diabetes, cardiovascular disease, it has certainly gone up dramatically in the past 50 years in industrialized countries like the U.S., especially compared to non-industrialized populations. Over the last century, a period that is undoubtedly too short for significant genetic adaptation, industrialization, and technology have radically changed the way we eat and live. And we can see that very clearly. Today, the average American subsists on foods that are packaged and commercially prepared, rich in refined sugars and starches, highly processed fats and sodium. And these foods are designed to be so delicious that they run right over our body's normal fullness signals and encourage overeating. Which, by the way, with my nutrition coaching program, you relearn to listen and know those natural cues that tell you when you're full and when you're overeating so you can eventually lose that excess belly fat. Now, consider the top six calorie sources in the U.S. that today's diet. They're all grain-based, like desserts, like cakes and cookies, yeast breads, chicken-based dishes, and these aren't, you know, roast chicken or grilled chicken. These are probably things like Popeyes and KFC, those kind of things. The sweetened beverages, pizza, and alcoholic drinks. Those are the top six caloric sources in the United States. That's, that's just awful. I mean, man, not a green leaf anywhere. So those weren't the ancestral foods. And no nutrition expert, regardless of dietary persuasion, would ever recommend that type of diet for health and fitness. All right, so, but is the paleo diet really paleo? I'll be right back to give you some more information on that. Hey, thanks for listening. I appreciate you logging on to listening to Nutrition Made Simple with Delcina West from Fit for Life PT. Make sure you tune in every week to get your dose of fitness and health information to make you fit for life. Okay, so we're back and let's talk about whether the paleo diet is really paleo. 
As I noted earlier, hunter-gatherers from the Arctic were in stark contrast to the African tribes of the Kung people, right? So they weren't eating the same types of foods that the paleo diet strictly identifies. Still, in most cases, the primal diet certainly included more fruits, more vegetables than most people eat today. So if we want to be healthier, we should do what our ancestors did and eat a lot of those, right? Well, yes and no. But not necessarily for the paleo reasons um, that they, they recommend. Most modern fruits and vegetables are not like the ones our ancestors ate. And I know many of you have realized that, especially with our modernization of technology in the farm industry, um, a lot of the early fruits and vegetables were often much smaller, tougher, bitter. Uh, some of them were even toxic. You know, if you ever found yourself out in the deep woods and you see little berries and nuts, they're not exactly, they're not like the ones that you're going to see in the supermarkets. Because over time, we bred plants, you know, making them more enticing, making them bigger and prettier and flashier and brighter. And we've also diversified plant types, right? Creating new versions of them, such as different types of potatoes and different tomatoes that weren't here or didn't even exist, you know, in our ancestors' time. And the animal foods were not in state, not the same. Beef steak, even if it's grass-fed, is not the same as eating bison or deer meat. And all our current hunters know that difference. You, you can definitely taste the difference between deer meat and a steak you buy wrapped up in plastic at HEB. So the claim that we should eat a diet rich in vegetables, fruits, and meats because we evolved to eat precisely those foods is a little bit suspect. The ones we eat today didn't even really exist in Paleolithic times. So the reasoning behind the Paleolithic diet or the hunter-gatherer diet or the paleo diet isn't what it's all cracked up to be. We're not talking about the content, but the reason why they say that you should. So the proponents of the paleo diet argue that our ancestors' diet could not have included a lot of grains, legumes, or dairy foods. And they contend that the past 10,000 years of agriculture isn't enough time to adapt to these new foods. Now, this argument is compelling, but it doesn't quite stand up to scrutiny. To begin with, recent studies and processings of the National Academy, proceedings of the National Academy of Sciences, using more advanced analytical methods, have discovered that ancient humans may have begun eating grasses and cereals before the Paleolithic era even began up to three or four million years ago. I don't know about the timetable, but they were eating it before. Further research has revealed granules of grain and cereal grasses on some stone tools. And meanwhile, grain granules on grinding tools from over the world, from all over the world, suggest that the Paleolithic humans made a widespread practice of turning grains into flour as far back as 30,000 years ago. So in other words, the Paleolithic humans never ate grains and cereals appears to be a bit of an exaggeration because that's the claim in the paleo world. Now, the um, idea also claimed that you shouldn't eat legumes and they recommend that you stay away from beans, peanuts, peas, and lentils for the same reason. But the idea that legumes are not widely available or widely consumed in Paleolithic times just doesn't cut the mustard, according to scientific research and study. 
In fact, in 2009, a review revealed that not only did the Paleolithic ancestors eat legumes, these were actually an important part of their diet. And so legumes have been found in Paleolithic sites all over the world and in some cases were determined to be the dominant type of plant food available. In fact, the evidence for wild legume consumption by Paleolithic humans is as strong as it is for any of the plant foods. They also argue against anti-nutrients. Now what is anti-nutrients? They say there's another reason to avoid certain foods is because their high concentration of anti-nutrients which supposedly reduces their nutritional value to zero. Now there's a problem with that argument. It is actually wrong. Research shows the benefits of legumes far outweigh their anti-nutrient theory because new, um, legumes offer benefits such as high antioxidant activity, they protect DNA from damage, they can be prebiotic, they have anti-cancer properties, and they reduce the bioavailability of heavy metals like calcium and lead. So when you have a mixed diet that contains a wide variety of nutrient-dense foods, whole foods, phytic acid is unlikely to be a problem. In fact, nearly all foods contain anti-nutrients as well as nutrients, particularly plant foods. So, but the, but the cue is though to eat a wide variety, not to limit yourself to certain foods. I mean, as a matter of fact, green tea and red wine contain tannins and that's considered an anti-nutrient and it inhibits absorption of zinc and iron, right? But you want to exclude green tea in your diet? I don't think so. So let's talk about why they feel that grains add to inflammation. The paleo diet proponents say that eating grains can lead to inflammation and related health problems. And so for that reason, you need to stay away from grains. Now this can be true for people who have celiac disease, and that's about 1% of the population. And then there's those with non-celiac gluten sensitivity, and that's about 10% of the population. But on the whole, the research doesn't support the argument that any more than it supports the argument about anti-nutrients. So having those foods in your diet, unless you are allergic to it or sensitive, does not, is not a main cause of inflammation at all. Okay? As an overall, a substantial body of evidence from both observations and controlled trial research suggests that eating whole grains and legumes improves our health, including improved blood lipids, better blood glucose control, actually less inflammation, and lower risk of stroke and coronary heart disease. So the evidence is not striking up to the foods that they say you should exclude out of your diet. Okay. Now, one of the reasons too is that our guts change over time. If you know anything about your gut microbiome, that is really where the key is to breaking down starches and fibers and simple sugars and fats all take place in order for us to be able to digest them and use them for nutrients. And that changes frequently to adapt to our environment. In fact, thanks to the Human Microbiome Project and other massive research projects around the world, we now know that trillions of microorganisms from thousands from thousands of different species inhabit our body. In fact, the total genetic makeup of these little creatures is at least 
100 times greater than our own. So our bodies are made up of thousands of different species of microorganisms. Now, this vast genetic diverse culture ensures that our GI tract can adapt rapidly to changes in diet and lifestyle. As a matter of fact, a single meal can change the type of bacteria that populates your gut. And as little as several days, a new diet can lead to dramatic changes in the bacteria populations in your GI tract. So this diverse, complex, and dynamic nature of our microbiome helps to explain why some of us seem to do well on one diet, while others will feel and perform better with another type of diet, even though genetically we're all 99% the same. But our gut is not. It allows us to break down more modern food compounds than our paleo advocates want us to believe. So if your diet consisted of a particular food, your gut learned or adapted to break those types of foods down and use them for nutrients and energy. If your gut or stomach, whatever, is adjusted or used to eating our 21st century Western diet, it will adapt to that. But there's always side effects to that. So, for example, many people can alleviate symptoms of lactose intolerance by eating yogurt or other prebiotic-rich foods, and that provides a lactose-digesting bacteria. So even if you don't naturally break down lactose well, it is possible through the right combination of foods and or probiotic supplements to persuade your bacteria in your gut to do this job for you on your behalf. See? So you can change things. Everything is not always the same. We're always adapting and changing. Now, there is a little bit of a this versus that when it comes to the paleo and the Mediterranean diets. Dr. Lindbergh, who was the prime researcher in this, he uh, studied the, of course, we talked about the Kitaban Islander. He and his colleagues have conducted two clinical trial tests of the efficacy of the paleo diet. In the first one, they recruited diabetic and pre-diabetic volunteers with heart disease and placed them on one of these two diets. Now listen to this. The Paleolithic diet focused on lean meat, fish, fruit, vegetables, starchy root vegetables, eggs, and nuts. And the Mediterranean diet, there was the other group, focused on whole grains, low-fat dairy, vegetables, fruit, fish, oils, and margarine. After 12 weeks, the Mediterranean group lost body fat and saw an improvement in markers for diabetes. Four out of the nine participants with diabetic blood sugar levels at the beginning of the study had normal levels by the end. But those in the paleo group fared even better. They lost 70% more body fat than the Mediterranean group and also normalized their blood sugars. In fact, all 10 participants with diabetic blood sugar levels at the beginning of the study reached a non-diabetic level by the end of the study. That's pretty doggone amazing. So that is one, that is one of the many reasons that the paleo diet can be very effective or very helpful. Other research found too that the paleo diet is more satiating per calorie than the Mediterranean diet, meaning the paleo diet can help you to stay full longer. Whenever you have more protein in your diet, it helps you to stay full longer. And the paleo diet improves blood pressure, glucose tolerance, and blood lipids. Blood lipids. So what are the conclusions? What are the recommendations? What does the paleo diet get right? 
Despite the faulty evolutionary theory that it's based on, in the end, the paleo diet likely gets more things right than it gets wrong. The theory that is based on is wrong, but the recommendations that it provides are good. The paleo style eating emphasizes whole foods, lean proteins, vegetables, green fruits, nuts, seeds, and other healthy fats, which is a massive improvement over our average Western diet. And the paleo style eating has been extremely effective for improving several chronic diseases, and that's a huge plus. Also, the paleo style eating has made us more aware of how processed and crappy a lot of our 21st century foods are. Okay, so you say, well, what's the challenge? So despite the benefits that are obvious from the Western diet, there are a couple of flaws. So let me just tell you that. The, the paleo diet excludes dairy, legumes, and grains. And there's not any real strong evidence to show that that should be. It's not a one-size-fits-all recommendation for everybody. Certainly, some people should avoid dairy and gluten and keep legume and grain consumption modest, but most of us can improve the way we look, feel, and perform without completely eliminating these foods. As I mentioned earlier, the evolutionary argument does not hold up. The human species isn't simply a collection of adaptations of life in the Paleolithic era. We are have evolved, and we adapt to where we live and what we do. And then in the broader sense, strictly following a list of good and bad or allowed and not allowed foods tends to be problematic for most of us. I mean, generally this approach leads to anxiety. You know, we have all these negative food connotations. Oh, I can't eat this or I can't eat that or I need to have that. It's that all or nothing thinking mentality. And that makes us feel more confident. I mean, more, more anxious about what we're doing and we feel that we're doing well when we're following rules but in the long run it's not sustainable to do that so that explains why the paleo diet itself is actually evolving because they realize that they have really good recommendations but it's actually evolving to uh, to accommodate the 21st century so they are starting to encourage a moderate amount of starches although it's a limited amount, and also encouraging dark chocolate, red wine, non-grain spirits such as tequila, and grass-fed dairy. So these additionals make life a little bit more pleasant, and they make healthy eating more attractive and achievable. So that helps to make the paleo diet much more attractive. One of the recommendations that I saw, if you could combine the Mediterranean diet with the paleo diet, you would have a high five, awesome, out of this world, knock it out the park diet. So that would make it a much more adaptable and long-term diet, which is basically, you know, the foods that you try to eat on a regular basis, more adaptable and long-term. So what do you do today? Consider the good things about the ancestral lifestyle, which was eating mostly non-processed foods, right? And then think about how you could move along the spectrum. You don't want to go from zero to hero and just totally throw everything out of your kitchen cabinets and all the processed foods. You want to slowly start eliminating some of the highly processed foods out of your pantry, out of your diet, out of your choices, and slowly incorporate more whole foods, fruits and vegetables, legumes, and good grains. And you want to keep it simple and sane. Doing a few good things pretty well 
like getting a little extra sleep or adding more vegetables to your plate, it's a much better option than trying to get a lot of things perfect. Perfection is not the goal. Progress is the goal. And then you want to make sure and stay clean, critical and, and informed. Don't just fall for every single thing that falls into your lap without question, without realizing, without evaluating. There are a lot of health proponents out there who are totally unhealthy themselves. It's like, I wouldn't take financial advice from somebody who's poor or on food stamps. Why would you take health and nutrition advice from someone who's overweight, who's fat, who is unhealthy? I mean, think, be critical about what you're doing. And then help your old body. You're with those trillions of microbiomes. Our bodies are resistant, but we didn't get to be one of the most dominant species on the earth by not by being fussy. Delicate little flowers. Nevertheless, think about how you can nourish your body optimally in order to give your body and your microbiomes the best chance of surviving and thriving. Hey, I know that was a lot of information, but I want to get you the full picture so you can make a better choice for yourself and your family. Thanks for listening and have a beautiful, great day. Don't forget, you can always find me on Facebook at FIT, the number four, L-I-F-E, or look for Delcina West. If you want to know some more information about my coaching, please go to procoach.app slash Delcina. That's P-R-O-C-O-A-C-H dot A-P-P slash Delcina. Use the H-T-T-P-S in front of it, not the W-W, and you can find out more details about my online coaching. Thank you very much. Have a beautiful day. Bye-bye. Thank you so much for listening to the podcast today. I really enjoy spending time with you. And remember, if you want any additional information on what we spoke about today or any questions relating to health and fitness, please search for me on www.fitforlifeptllc or on my new coaching site, which is www.procoach.app slash Delcina. I'm always found on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. And once again, thank you so much. Have a beautiful and healthy day.